down in front. is looking for a target getting ready getting organized preparing himself for the only moment in his life that will ever mean anything welcome to old fogies and films each episode the members of this panel take turns assigning a film to watch and discuss we have ruth ahad yeah Eric, and me, Shelly. Today we're discussing Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. And I'm going to go ahead and give a small, uh, succinct plot. We'll see. (laughs) Do it. Taxi Driver is the story of Travis Bickle, an antisocial, lonely, odd man, who gets a job as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City in the 1970s. He um, is extremely disturbed and upset by the crime and behavior that he witnesses while he's driving around New York from all his fellow New Yorkers. The The movie follows the unraveling of his behavior and personality, culminating with the brutal murder of three men who are all involved with the prostitution of a 12-year-old girl. And I'm going to go ahead and go first because I hate waiting to talk about it. <laughs> and then I'm going to give you all a couple things that, um, that I thought of. There's a lot to talk about with this movie, but I really enjoyed it. I was one of the only ones of us that hadn't seen it. And yes, Eric, you were right. Um, completely parallels Joker, like mm-hmm. crazily. I... It, I'm I'm glad that I saw Joker first because I don't know if I would have liked Joker if I had seen this first. Oh, okay. Comparing it too much? Yeah, comparing it too much. Um, I really liked, I mean, Robert De Niro did an awesome job. He was amazing at this and at this role. And so, gosh, it's hard to even think about where to start. So um, he starts as kind of odd, kind of weird, and he gets weirder and more dark as the movie goes on. So at the beginning, he when he asked Betsy out, um, who Sybil Shepherd, oh my gosh, was she not like gorgeous? She was yeah. beautiful. So he asks her out and, and <laughs> then he takes her to that Swedish porn movie and he saw completely, he, he could not understand why she was so uncomfortable and disturbed like that and why she, he's, what what's the matter what's the matter and so that was kind of humorous and it kind of like made me like he was just so awkward you know so and then and then you never know is he telling the truth um or not and you don't know what's in his head and what's real um what really happened and which was very similar to to joker then i would i was thinking about iris so Jodie Foster did an awesome job, but oh my gosh, she was only supposed to be 12. So we had talked about cuties and this was different, 
but this but it was still upsetting to think that that this actress was only 12 years old and it's weird that as adults we put kids in these roles like playing pretend for us for our entertainment when they're so disturbing like i know that there are some 12 you know my 12 year old is very i have a 12 year old son my oldest is 12 and i know he's pretty sheltered but it's hard to imagine putting him in that position for our entertainment, especially since some of the things that she has to do are so, like when she's slow dancing with, um, I, is that Harvey Keitel? Yeah. What, what is his character's name? I can't remember. Uh, Sheldon Sport. 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 But his name was, was it Matthew? Could be, yeah. yeah I she says, go Sport. talk to blank. Yeah, yeah. Sport. So when they were dancing and he was whispering those things and she was actually like, they were, it was just, but see, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like an integral part of the movie, but it's like, we're putting 12 year olds in these positions to, um, to act these things out. So I want to hear what you all think about that. If you all even thought about that. And then the ending. I want to hear everyone's interpretation of the ending, and um, I will tell mine after. I'll, I'll let you all do that first. So, which part of the ending? The ending where he shoots everybody up, or the ending where he's considered a quote-unquote hero? Beyond that, yeah. What okay. what what you all think is is like what that is? Is that real? Is that a is that any something else? Make sense? Makes sense. All right, I'm going to go to Fahad first. Thank you. Um, so I think I'm the only one other than Shelly who had never seen this movie. Um, everybody can comment away in the internet as much as you want when I say what I'm about to say, but I don't think I'd ever even really heard of this movie. What? Um, and I didn't realize the you know, you're talking to me whole monologue thing came from this movie. So when he started doing it, I'm like, I know that. <laughs> I've heard of that before. Um, but I will say every time you hear it in pop culture, it's way more exaggerated. Oh, yeah. Um, than how it was actually delivered in the movie. Um, Everyone tries to do their impression of De Niro, right? They're like, you're talking to me? And yeah, he yeah. Really, he it's really way do more, it's way more succinct and suave the way he does it than every other you know, way somebody else has ever done it. Um, so I will say I was a little underwhelmed when I saw the real thing with him doing it. I was like, oh, that's the big thing everybody loves, but okay. I mean, uh, he's just, I thought he was talking to somebody, but no, in this, he's just talking to the mayor. He's pretending like, and it just took away everything. I, I thought like, you know, in the movie, he would be talking to some big bad guy and he's being all tough. And then, you know, really it's, he's just practicing. Um, so watching this movie kind of, you know, Show me who was behind the curtain, you know, like uh, it's just a man, you know, as the wizard. But anyways, um, so I'd never really heard of the movie, never saw the movie. Um, so, I mean, overall, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I did feel like, and maybe it's indicative of his brain and his way of thinking that it touched a lot of different things and it didn't feel as coherent of a story for me. Um, only because you had the whole like Sybil Shepherd storyline with him trying to woo her. And then the the guy that she's volunteering for running for president and him not 
you know, going going after him and stalking him and doing all that. But then the stuff with Jodie Foster's character, child prostitution, um, you know, they have all these different storylines. So I'll, I'll say it's not exactly a day in the life movie where you see all these crazy things happening in one day to this one person. It's instead crazy things, but stretched over time where you see, you know, what's breaking him down and making him more and more depressed with the world and society. Um, so it still felt a little disjointed just because it wasn't that kind of day in the life story, but I don't know. I just didn't know exactly where this was going. And then the ending did surprise me where he finally takes it into his own hands and goes after the, the prostitution folks, uh, um, sport and the other folks and goes and tries to help Jodie Foster's character by killing all the people. Um, it was a lot more violent than I was expecting. Um, I was surprised that he actually survived uh, or, or did he? Maybe that goes to Shelley's question about our interpretation of how this movie could have ended. And I'll touch on that in a moment. Um, but so, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. I wasn't gaga over it, but I enjoyed it. Um, it's not exactly the kind of movie I'll probably watch again, but I'm glad I saw it. Um, so going to, Shelley, your thing about Jodie Foster's character. I want to stop saying Jodie Foster's character. I should say Iris. Um, Iris and the depiction of an actual 12-year-old actress portraying a 12-year-old in this manner and comparing it to what we saw previously with cuties as well. Um, so there were a few things that took me out of this movie that, so for those of you who have heard our cuties podcast, you'll probably remember from several of us, there were moments in that movie that made us feel uncomfortable. There were certain angles, certain shots of the girls, and we just felt it was unnecessary. And it just, it felt weird. And it felt weird knowing that some parents would let their children act like this and everything. So that was uncomfortable. In this movie, it was harder for me to feel that because when I saw Iris, all I saw was Jodie Foster. And in my mind, Jodie Foster is an adult, even though she's only 12 years old here and she looked young, but I still just couldn't get out of my mind that this is Jodie Foster. This is it's Jodie Foster. Um, you know, I wish I could get into the, cause I, yes, it's uncomfortable. Well, okay. Going into most of the movie, it, I, I was unable to, distance myself from the fact that it's just Jodie Foster but the moments where she was with um uh what's his name Travis in the room alone and she was trying to you know do what get it what make it what does she call it like make it make yeah it? yeah um, 70s like term yeah exactly um so when make, she got make it her- became porking became <laughs> <laughs> exactly doing it um, so uh, I wonder what it is now but anyway so when she gets on her knees and starts unbuckling his trousers that's when I did start feeling uncomfortable because then I was able to get back into wait Jodie Foster's 12 years old here I know this oh my gosh like and when she said making it and all I'm like does she does she know what that means no and know exactly to the extent of why she's unbuckling his pants like do they need to explain it to her so she can act the part and that's when I started feeling like you know, that's where it gets weird having actual young children play those roles. Um, I can't remember the last time they've had a young person play that kind of a role in recent movies. Um, so maybe it is kind of one of those faux pas, those things you don't do. Like for the longest time, you didn't see children die in movies, but now you kind of do again. But I don't know if we'll ever see like a 12 year old get on her knees and start trying to unbuckle a guy's pants. Um, I hope not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so to your, your, to your original question, Shelly, 
in the beginning, it was hard for me to separate that this is Jodie Foster, who I know as Jodie Foster today, to what Jodie Foster was as a 12-year-old girl. But then that scene where she was with him alone, starting to perform, I was like, okay, this isn't really cool. Um, so that's comment on that. And then my comment on the ending, not until you said anything or questioned it, did I think that it might not have actually happened. In my mind, I thought it was very straightforward. I was like, oh, he tried killing these people. He killed them. He didn't die, but they found him and he probably made it so that everybody thought like he was there to rescue this girl and they attacked him first and he killed them. And wow, one of the guys was a mob boss and look at this hero. I did think it was a weird, it was a little weird that they were celebrating him as a hero so much considering how brutally he attacked these people. But it also depends. What did Iris say? What, how did she corroborate his story as well um, to make him come out as this big hero? But in my mind, all of that really happened and he was celebrated as a hero. Iris went back home to her family and he then gets in the cab and he gets the last kind of say with the Sybil Shepherd thing, like, have a good night. And he drives off and leaving her just kind of standing there like, wait, what? But now that you're questioning it and asking us if we questioned it, I'm starting to question it. <laughs> I'm like, maybe it is more like Joker because I did not put those two together um, that maybe that ending was his last few moments of him dying and thinking like, this is how I want it to be. This is how the perfect ending is. And he just drifts away and dies. But those are the last visions he has of how it all will pan out or should pan out. Um, so now I'm leaning towards that. That's my vote. Okay, I'm done. Yes. Um, let's hear what Takia has to say. All right, so yeah, I like this movie a lot. Um, I loved all the, um, I loved the Descent into Madness movies, basically. In a way, kind of felt sorry for him because he couldn't, in a way, control the mental illness. You know, he didn't go get help for it. He got the, you know, PTSD from um, serving in Vietnam War. And I was reading somewhere, did he actually do that? Or was he lying about that? So we don't know. But um, um, going by what they, it played off in the movie as him being a former war vet, it felt like in a way he couldn't control that. So that's, so in not going to get help for it, you know, he, you know, everything, he has a mixture of all this stuff, you know, sociopathic and social ineptness, uh, loneliness, loneliness brought on from his mental illness, from his PTSD. And then, yeah, it's interesting. He's he finally uh, lost touch with reality after uh, to, to assassinate the president candidate. And then did this patient is shootout to save the, um, save Joey Foster's character. So all that was kind of interesting watching it. Um, I think that what Fahad said, there were a lot of, um, I guess, seemed like different things, different plot lines happening. I didn't think about it like that because for me, it kind of flowed, flowed rather okay. I, I didn't see it as being a problem that too many things were happening. But um, I kind of took that as yeah. like his mind, like he was mm -hmm. disjointed in his. Um, yeah. And that's, I think when I was describing it, I was like, maybe it is aligned to like, you know, the, all the craziness in his mind. And that's why it's just portrayed that way in the movie too. I uh, saw it differently. I, I think um, there, was, there was a trend in the seventies in film to try to shoot things more realistically. So more day in the life. So you, you lose a bit of the narrative structure and it's more like just, you know, shots and scenes of people in everyday situations on the street, having a chat and, and mm -hmm. I think in the sense of this film, they're all meant to sort of add up to like throughout it, you learn a little bit more at a time about exactly who he is in his state of mind. So that I guess whatever happens in the end makes 
sense to you. Like you can yeah. see it growing slowly until it all explodes. Yeah. And um, I, would, I, don't, I don't know if it was, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. This is okay. Um, yeah, my, my, I was I put that as one of my questions on here too. Uh, about it, I actually, I was, I was reading some background about it. Like, was it a dream sequence? Was it not? So it'd be interesting to see what you guys think about that later on in our discussion. Um, also, it was interesting to see his you know, psychopathic side. All of a sudden, once he gets all these guns and, and makes these gun holsters and like he's, you know, going to be this like vigilante hero, going to kill everyone that is all the scum of, the, of New York City. But then has this compassionate side. He wants to help his kid. And not only is he just, you know, nice with her, gentle with her. Um, the kid, I mean, the kid, you know, Joy, Iris, Joy Foster's character. So that was interesting too. This whole total compassionate side and this total psychopathic side, you know, it makes you wonder in real life what, what's going on with, with crazy people, you know? <laughs> I was thinking, actually, this is weird. I was thinking about, um, what's the guy named the uh, Ted Bundy? Apparently he, um, would have these girlfriends that he would not harm or kill. And I think there's a movie based on around one of them or, or something. And then everyone else he slaughtered. It was kind of interesting how he would, you know, someone with a psychopathic mental illness mind, you know, they have compassion, then they kill. It, it's just, I don't know. I always thought that, that was so interesting to me, you know, having two different sides of your, of your, of, you know, it's your brain there. Um, Not to get off on a tangent, but there's another serial killer, Israel Keys, who had a daughter and a girlfriend, and um, and he killed lots of people. You should look him up. He's like the most terrifying serial killer. Killer. I think think it happens a lot because people who, especially serial killers, they end up with like a god complex. So there's there's a big part of them that think that they are protecting everyone you know, like that they're in control of it, like they control life and death. Um, but, you know, I mean, even if the people they care about in their lives, if they, if they were to do the wrong thing, you know, say the wrong thing or, you know, treat him a certain way, I think he would probably still snap and hurt them. But, you know, as long as they don't push him that push the person that way, I think, yeah, there's, there's, I think Travis Bickle is very similar to that. It, he, it's sort of an abusive um, situation, you know, l- look at how well he treated Sybil's character until she wouldn't she didn't want to see him anymore and then she saw his true colors you know he came in there and he looked erratic and just unstable and he's like okay that's that's who he really is <laughs> and yeah, he only was, pushed a little bit yeah yeah i was that was interesting that i um, mean you know, i've seen it before even the first time i saw it which was actually uh not too long ago i saw it while i was yeah. living in Faha's place <laughs> where my date, first dates with homer anyway um when i first saw it i was thinking that he would kill kill um what's your name uh what? Betsy? Is it Betsy? Betsy? Yeah. yeah. So I like the fact that I uh this movie also had some unpredictability. Again, going back to the first time I saw I saw it. Um I like that about it. Because of course, typically killer kills the woman that rejected him, even though it was his fault that he got rejected. <laughs> you know, taking him to a porn movie, that porn movie that that that's not, you know, him is his social ineptness caused that. He doesn't, you know, he's extremely socially inept. I think it's probably a word worse than that. That I would describe him in terms of being socially like it goes beyond social awkwardness. But in all it's, fairness to him, mm-hmm. there were other people on dates in there too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're like I can't, I can't remember. It, I thought it was like men sitting around. There no, was, there was, was like, there was like one or two couples. There was a woman right. walking out. Like I found and that it, I was like it, he told her he's like other other 
people were other couples were in there other people <laughs> take people on dates in there but you understand that 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 they are probably not their first date either you know <laughs> first date or even <laughs> a date but yeah yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's so, one of the definitions like, of sociopath, right? Like he 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 sees other people doing things, but he doesn't really understand human interaction. So he yeah, saw couples in there and thought, okay, yeah. this is totally acceptable then, yeah. because he can't the way that we can like process mm-hmm. the information and say maybe in context it's this is not what I'm seeing. Yeah, it's like the whole thing, the whole thing with mental illness. Yeah, it, 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 the, the, uh, touch with reality. Yeah, well, it, it's you know it, it, because of that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I love, uh, I guess, abnormal psychology is that, I took a course on it. It was, it's, they discuss all that stuff with um, PTSD and, and um, psychopathic, psycho, psychopath, what do we call it? Psychology, whatever, and all that stuff. So um, seeing movies like that with, with, with people descending into badness like that, I, I really like that. So um, anyway, um, the acting was amazing. Um, I think this De Niro was just cut out for his role as he, you know, I watched him since, like, you know, that Cape Fear, all the stuff he's been in, and you know, I, I enjoyed everything he's done. As, um, especially they had a thriller spin to it. So, anyway, I have more to say, but um, you guys can go ahead with um, whoever's right. next. Yeah. <laughs> Eric is next. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, uh, I think, I think it's this has been a bit of a trend. Well, I think it's happened a couple times in this in the in our fogies watching watch parties i'm tripping over my words now um but uh where we've rewatched movies that i watched first um when i was much younger uh, like in my 20s maybe and i think it proves that i have sort of learned a lot in in that time because i see them very differently when i first saw text driver i was like okay this is a well done movie but i don't really I'm not really connecting to it. It's not something I really enjoy, but I appreciated it much more for, for what was going on on screen and for the, and for the plots uh, and the, the filmmaking um, choices behind it this time around. Uh, and I think it's also, it's one of those movies that proves that good cinema can speak to you even across decades. So even though this is made in the seventies, you're like, Oh, different time, different place. It's, it's got nothing to talk you know, to, to, to say about modern life, but it, it actually has a lot to say because Tra- Travis Bickle is basically all those in- incels on the internet who have these fantasies of vigilante justice, right? They're like, there's something wrong with society and we can't get girlfriends and we don't have you know good jobs and we can't, you know, we can't this, we can't that because people are keeping us down and 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 we're the ones who are gonna save everyone now, like that that complex and uh that really, that really struck me that he, that's basically what he was doing. And you're, you're watching somebody sort of radicalize themselves on screen slowly, but surely um, until, you know, they commit an act of violence. Um, so I thought that that was, that was very interesting to watch it now uh, compared to when I first saw it uh, to what Shelley was saying. I do. I did in the scenes with Jodie Foster and Harvey Keitel or Jodie Foster and Travis Bickle. I was thinking like, oh, how strange that is for her. I guess maybe because Jodie Foster in particular, I've seen her um, act at this age, you know, Freaky Friday and other stuff. And so she's always seemed to me like hyper intelligent, like her IQ has been like off the charts. So I think even at this age, she knew what she was being asked to do. And for, for me, that makes it 
not quite as creepy. But instead, what I was thinking about in those scenes is if I was the adult in those scenes, I would be very uncomfortable. I'd be like, mm-hmm. like I know we need to shoot this scene, but I don't want to touch her in a way that's, I mean, I know, it's, it's even when you know you're acting and that's the only reason you're doing it, it's, it, for me, it would still feel creepy to be doing it, you know, to hold her the way Harvey did, or if you're, if you're Robert De Niro, to let her start to unbuckle your, your, your belt, I would be like, no, 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 you know, I, I don't think so. Like, is there another way we can shoot this? I don't know, <laughs> where we don't have to do this because I wouldn't want to be doing it. Um, so that, that's, that's what I kept thinking is, is how would I get through that scene if I were those actors and not feel like a gross person, uh, or that I was taking advantage of her as an actress. Um, and as far as the ending goes, yes, uh, I did not remember, I remembered the, the violence at the end, but I didn't remember the denouement from when I originally watched it like 20 years ago or wherever it was. So this time when it started happening, I was like, no, I got really pissed at first. I was like, I, I don't think so. This is not right. This is, and then that was my initial reaction with the first few seconds, just finding out that he's alive. And then hearing the, the letter read out by um, Iris's parents. And, and first, and that, the letter being read out, which took a really long time, actually, that was my first clue that, that this was, this could not be reality because I'm sorry, I think, you know, there's obviously exceptions no matter what you're talking about, but I think in most cases, uh, a 12 year old girl does not leave home and prostitute herself um, unless she's come from a worse situation. And so to hear the, you know, this letter that he's made up in his mind about the, her good parents who just wanted their daughter to come home. And I was like, I don't think so. I don't think she would have, I think if she left and found herself on the street having to have sex with grown men, she would have found a way to just run home, you know, get back to her parents. Like she wouldn't have ended up in this situation unless her home, you know, where she comes from was even worse, probably full of sexual abuse, uh, you know, physical abuse, you know, or maybe, you know, they had nothing and, and who knows. So I was like, okay, this is not adding up. And then, and then of course the fact that he survives, I was like, I don't think so. He, he lost a lot of blood. He was shot in the neck. He was shot in the neck and the arm. <laughs> And, and he, and they didn't show up until he'd already been bleeding for quite some time. It's like, there's no way he survives this. And then to, you know, really put a bow on his whole fantasy, the girl that, you know, uh, what's the word? The girl that uh, brushed him off. Rejected him. Uh, in the, it rejected him in the, in the beginning. Oh, I was gonna, I was looking for a bigger word. I was like, the girl who rebuffed his advances at the beginning of the movie is just happening to be, it happens to be in his cab and she probably tracked him down too because she just wanted to see the hero. And it's like, I don't think so. I think she was smart enough in reality that um, after what happened you know, between them and then see if she saw him in the newspaper after this violent act, she's not gonna track him down. Even if people were calling him a hero, she'd be like, I don't think I want anything to do with this. you know. Uh, and on top of that, like, there's no, there's no way he would have gone free. Even if those other people were criminals, he murdered them. Yeah horribly and he traumatized that girl so there's no way they would have just let him out on the street even if some people called him a hero he'd be in jail now for it and he'd be under psychiatric treatment (laughs) and he was thinking he was helping her but he went out about it in a really psycho way where yeah he messed her up too she didn't ask him to do any of that she she was very clear with him too which i like that that's part of her character is that she was very very aware of what she was doing and the choices she she had made and she would say this to him, like, you know, like, who are you? Like, you're going to save me from everything. You don't even know what's going on, you know? 
Um, and so, and then I, so then after I decided this, this is definitely a dream or like, you know, his last thoughts, uh, as, as Fahad put it before he dies, <clears throat> I then remembered the scene after he lays back on the couch and the cops finally break in. And I remembered how weird it was. And I decided basically what was happening was the camera was his soul leaving his body and then floating up and out of the entire building. Look at, uh, looking at all the chaos that he had left behind. Hey, um, um, so he did die. <laughs> Yeah, it's I want to get kind of. I I I read that on on. Um, I was, I was read things out after after the, I watched the movie. They mentioned what you said. Did you read that somewhere, or did you come up with that yourself? I can't. Kind of, myself, yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I saw the exact same thing you said on um one of the write ups for it, but when the synopsis for it, so I like to read about the, you know, the the um making of the movie and everything. The oh, ideas okay. behind. It. So it's kind of interesting. I thought, yeah, that's cool that you came up with what they said, but it was your own thought. Anyway, has, go ahead. Has the, has the director confirmed that that was his intention? That was weird. It's been like different. Um, apparently, he was saying that, that it was in, he meant for where he was alive and then he, they want to make a taxi too or something. But other people are saying, no, it's a dream. So oh, yeah, no, there was discussion with Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese and other folks back in the early 2000s of an, a sequel to Taxi Driver. Yeah. So they were actually really serious about it, but then they I'm decided. so glad they didn't. Yeah. Because do, do, you, do you see what's wrong with the 90s and the 2000s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things you should not touch. They're like, hey, since that was successful and it's now iconic, let's let's make money on it. Like, come on, guys. Oh, I didn't even tell you guys this, but um, Chinatown. Uh, Jack Nicholson directed a remake or not a, a sequel in 1990 called Two Jakes. Oh, I heard that. And, and I heard about that and I was like, oh no, why would you do that? No. I didn't associate with them with Chinatown though. I've heard the movie, which I never saw it, but it's heard of it. No. But then I but then I thought, okay. you guys, maybe we should watch it so we can get some answers mm -hmm. about the end of that movie. Like, does he go back and try to save that girl? Does anyone go to jail? <laughs> yeah. What happens? Um, but yeah, that would be another example. Like you don't need to make a sequel for something like that. It's, it's obviously, Agreed. you know, unless there's still, you know, there's, I don't know. I'm sure there's some films where a sequel is obviously trilogies. Like if you le left the story open because you intended always to make another part of it. Sure. I guess I'll stop there. <laughs> All right. The we question. haven't heard from Ruth. That's me. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, this was my second time seeing it, and, um, so it actually had been a little while, but I did see it, um, over the summer a couple years ago, um, and yeah, I just remember how Robert De Niro, um, he does a great job in this, and, you know, you kind of, he seems obviously a little bit out of source and has some issues but then as we're all saying it definitely unravels to a lot worse as it goes along um i feel like uh betsy probably when he first was staring at her from the taxi cab and wanted to go talk to her that she i'm sure her gut said there's something wrong with him in the first place but maybe she liked the fact that he was so intrigued with her and she liked the attention that maybe she thought, well, maybe I'll just give it a try. And um, yeah, and the fact that she she was thinking, oh, we're just going to a movie and then takes her to a porno movie. Are those even a thing anymore? Like, I've never even heard that. Well, this is that's an interesting thing about this movie, too, is it's a snapshot of a New York that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, I forget okay. who it was, like, 
Giuliani or de Blasio. Like, there, there, have been, there have been mayors of New York um, who tried to clean it up. And so they got rid of all those porn theaters that used to be there. And I was know, wondering that. The landscape change. Yeah. So the 70s and 80s were a very, very different New York than, than okay. after that point. Sadly. I like it for sure. <laughs> I like the seedy New York, you know? <laughs> Just too nice now. Too touristy. I bit. like to see it maybe in like the 1940s or 50s. I think that would be when I would think it would be really cool to check out. Um, They're a very out there, out there place. I'm kind of surprised they even got rid of the point because it's very, it's very liberal, very out there. You would think that they would have something like that now as the summer to it or something. Not all well, over, but just one. Know. Wasn't Fred Willard arrested at a adult movie theater in like 2017? Oh, was he? I don't know. Oh, really? Paul, I, think I remember Pee Wee. I think Paul Rubens was. Yeah, yeah. Pee Wee Harmon. Yeah. I was just looking up to make sure I was correct, but the tale behind Fred Willard's arrest in an adult movie theater, and it oh, was wow. in uh, 2017. They do exist. Wow. Oh, they do have gosh. a couple of them floating around, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pee Wee's yeah, yeah. was a, quite a while ago, so oh I mean, yeah. So the Not Fred yet. is more of an example of they, I guess, still do exist. I was trying to see if it was in New York. For some reason, I thought it was Los Angeles, but yeah, like, Los, Los Angeles. But in um, New York, like there were so many of them, like all across the street from each other, and they looked like big movie theaters. You know, I know. Like yeah, it looked like a real, and they sold like popcorn and didn't he order? What did he get? It. He wanted jujubes, but they didn't have them. Yeah, he wasn't happy. About he wanted that. Coke, but they had RC Cola. Oh, it's by like the way, that box that, office, that concession worker, apparently, uh, she was Robert De Niro's future wife. Oh wow! They were dating. I heard. I was. I read about that too. But it was crazy because it had like an actual box office outside of the theater. You walk up, you get your tickets, and like that was so out in the open. Whereas I feel like if they do exist now, we probably don't know where they are because it's so secretive to get into them because people don't want to be seen. So they succeeded in shaming people for sexuality. Yeah, super great. And that's really worked out well. (laughs) Well, I mean, back then you took your dates there. <laughs> I have to say, the movie he took her to, I mean, it kind of looked uh, more like maybe an art film. We didn't see it too did much. Seem very it, artsy. But, That's know, what it was I was thinking. Sex. It was like hey, it was Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> or if it was educational. <laughs> yeah, so. it was educational. It looks. It seemed like. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, she was obviously a high class girl, and I think she she obviously she she did sort of play it cool like or not not play she cool. went in like she knew where they were why did she bother going in and not yeah, she shouldn't have bothered well, going in and what did she think that they were going in to see like she knew what kind of movie theater it was yeah i think and she either. wanted to trust him you know well maybe, maybe it's a mainstream movie that's being shown in this theater so i'll go and see it's you know maybe it's a disney movie yeah, that confused me too. Why, why would she even go in? That's like you said, why would she even go in? I didn't understand that at all. It, it was just, much more dramatic for her to go in, sit down, and in the middle of the movie, right, in the beginning, just be like, I can't do this. This is disgusting. <laughs> Judging every single person in this theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she went in too. She did go in, yeah. Maybe she was thinking it wasn't going to be as much as what it actually was and she saw what the name of the theater was <laughs> i did think she could have handled her reaction a bit better and her reaction with him like she could have just tried to really understand from his perspective like why did you think that was okay um 
and explains oh, her feelings towards it too. Like, yeah, you know, obviously he said other oh, couples are in there, and you know, but like, why was it so? Horrible and he wasn't like horrible about it. He's like, well, I'll take you to do something else. We exactly. Can, what do you want to yeah. do? Well, but I mean, in the end, she did dodge a bullet. Literally, she did. dodged the yeah. bullet. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's still so disconnected. Like, if I I'm into some yeah. pretty crazy stuff, but on a first date, that I'm not going to immediately drag somebody there. But you're supposed to find out like what their find out where their limits are, what they're interested in, and then maybe you can propose to do something. But he takes her immediately to a place. <laughs> yeah. like I mean, that's, that's what really that's what. And she's she's smart, so I think she included her in. She was like, okay, I've got myself you know, involved with a guy who I think he might not be right. You know, he might not be totally right in the head. So I would have run away too. It's like, it's just get out of school. Did you, did you all like feel sympathy? Like, did, were you completely like, did you feel for him? Like feel sympathy for him? I felt sympathy for him in the beginning. Um, but as he got more and more in the beginning, I felt sympathy for him. Um, but in, as time went on and he got more and more like, once he shaved his head and had like the punk mohawk and he started stalking the presidential candidate and stuff. Like I was like, okay, I'm done. But uh, about all those guns. There yeah, was he, one line that he said where he was, he was writing in his diary, I think, where he was talking about being the lonely man. He was always lonely no matter where he was. I think that was more towards the middle and that made me feel for him. Like I was always just alone. He bothered me the whole time. I don't know. I think I've seen too many people like him in real life in the last couple of decades. I'm like, no, I don't care what's, you know, what his issues are. Anyway, I don't know. Well, see, I guess for me, coming off of the last movie we watched with I Care a Lot, where I immediately hated her and hated her throughout the entire movie. At least here, I had a little bit of sympathy. Yeah, I didn't hate him. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I, I hated her, but like, I didn't yeah. hate him. As with the the the, next, the the whole porn thing, oh, obviously had so issues. At least he showed somewhat of a human side, and she didn't seem like she was humane at all in any way. I felt mean, sorry with social about. awkwardness, that, and, and so, I don't want to be lonely. But he that other movie, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. I was just gonna say that I, 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 had, I um immediately interpreted. I mean, I interpreted the ending the way that you came to understand it like that he was dying and that's how he wanted to be remembered or at least that's what when he was planning this um rescuing of um iris that that's what he was imagining in his head oh they'll write um they'll write newspaper articles about me talking about how i'm a hero and her parents will write to me so i knew it wasn't right during the letter i knew that it couldn't be real um because of what Eric was saying, like her, she wouldn't have left these kind parents who wanted their daughter back, like who wanted, you know, they were wanting her back and they were going to make sure that she lived. I think it was the, she lived so that she would never want to run away again. Like, it's like we've, take, we've taken steps to ensure yeah, that she, she never needs, feels she needs to run away again. It's like, oh, what is exactly. that? And yeah. I thought, well, that they tie her down. And then Betsy in the car, just not talking, and he looks back. And the wind is blowing in her hair, and she looks beautiful. And he got to, he got to like rebuff her, like, nope, yeah. I'm the hero, and you, you know, you don't want me. So yes, I thought he was dying 
which is died because, because before he did this, he left that letter for Iris and said, um, by the time you get this, I'll be dead. So uh, apparently he expected to be killed. Yeah. And he left $500 for her, which I looked it up on an inflation calculator and it would be like $2,500 or $3,000, something like Whoa. that. So it's a quite a bit of money that would have gotten her. So I imagine in my head that she gets to go to live in that commune which is also a very 70s thing, living in a commune. Yeah. There were communes. I liked it when he said he saw a picture uh, once in a newspaper and it looked really dirty or like in a magazine, I think it looked really dirty. And I thought that's what I've always thought about communes. I would, I don't think I could do it because. That's I why I never liked him. He, he had, there were only two people that he cared about in the entire movie, Iris and Betsy, probably just because they were women. Yeah. And only as so, and only so far as they lived up to his fantasy, like Iris, oh, is just a good girl in a bad situation, or you know, Betsy's, uh, you know, beautiful and sophisticated, and is she's kind enough to let him take her out. And as soon as you know these people don't behave that way, you know, they're out the door. And so, I mean, he wasn't willing to accept anyone else's way of life or have compassion for them. He called everyone scum. <laughs> I don't, I, and I don't exactly understand, maybe other people interpreted this somehow and you can help me out, but he was kind of into uh, Palantine as a candidate, especially because Betsy worked for him. Uh, and then he met him in his cab and that seemed like a conversation that went oh, all right. But then the first thing he decided to do was possibly go to his campaign and try to assassinate him. But, but why? Like, to, was it to get back at Betsy? That's I what I was kind of thinking. Well, because like, look, this kind of man took up all her time and attention, and yes, maybe because she liked him a lot. Yeah, I guess because since he was hurting, it would hurt her. By the way, um, I don't know. If, did you have you guys heard about the the connection this has to assassinations? <laughs> no, it's no. pretty well known. But uh, but the the guy who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Mm, in the early 80s, John Hinckley Jr. He did it because he was a he was had seen Taxi Driver and developed an obsession with Jodie Foster, and he he stalked her for years, um, but couldn't make the connection with her that he wanted to, and so he decided he needed to do something really big and violent so that he would become like nationally famous uh, and well known, and 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 you know this is how the twisted mind works. He thought that that would put him at the level of her, so she would notice him. So he decided to try to assassinate Ronald Reagan, which is interesting because Travis Pickle tries to assassinate a political, uh, you know, a politician in this movie, and it's even weirder because this movie apparently was the plot of it was loosely based on the real life assassination attempt of politician George Wallace by a third person. Um, so yeah, so I uh, that's a so speaking of Jodie Foster being young and whether she can handle this kind of thing, can you imagine that? Like somebody becomes obsessed with her after seeing her in this movie, oh and then goodness. tries to murder somebody to impress her. I, I cannot believe she was able to like process that and still end up like a fully functioning person. Yeah. How old then, was she when that happened? How old was she when the uh, assassination attempt happened? Happened. Yeah, well, this guy was obsessed with her. Oh, well, I mean, it was after he saw this movie and then he stalked her for a while before he actually had to kill Reagan. Um, she was in college when, when um, all that stuff went down. Oh, she, really? It was apparently a few years after. But um, I don't know if you already mentioned Sarah, but it, it wasn't like 
that's still really was, young, you know. He got very inspired by the he got inspired by the movie to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Yeah. I mentioned that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and some people were afraid that because of that, that it would uh, the movie would would tank or something, or people would be people would would can it or something like that, and and it still had a big success, even though, yeah. It's interesting the reaction to Taxi Driver versus, for instance, the reaction to Catcher in the Rye, because that also inspired a disturbed person to try to murder somebody. I and that book got banned. Just going to say Don't. that Travis reminds me of Holden Caulfield. Like yeah. their characters, he wanted to save. You know, they were both mentally ill. Yeah, the fantasy I'm life. To save you know, the innocent. You read, you're like, mm, he's just imagining all this crap, right? Yeah. 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 Um, the another funny, funny way to look at this is that so Jodie Foster plays a prostitute in this movie. Two years later, she was in Freaky Friday. Uh, and I love that movie. Barbara Harris plays her mom and they switch places, the original yeah. Freaky Friday. And so, but I never thought about this, but can you imagine as an audience member going to see Freaky Friday being like, yeah, that's that's the girl from Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. But now she's in this like, <laughs> Disney movie. And it's just, it's really strange that that was possible for her. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize Freaky Friday, I didn't realize Freaky Friday was after this movie for some reason. I, I didn't either. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I didn't wow. either. Well, because she's playing someone older in Freaky Friday, right? little bit which is what's like grow you know gross (laughs) she's only supposed to be 12 like she's not even a teenager yet that is so young which i guess is what it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a shot like it's supposed to be that's something i was going to mention too is we just watched um chinatown which was 1974 right and we were talking about oh how shocking some of the especially the end material must have been But now I'm thinking two years later, they do, you know, Taxi Driver comes out. Uh, nothing about mm-hmm. Chinatown is shocking in comparison to that, to this movie. No. I mean, that guy's hand gets blown off into pieces. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I hate that. That was what a good one. That one guy cuts his hand or something. Oh, and the way that he, that, that, uh, sport, is that? Harvey Keitel. Yeah. The way he talks about her, like, uh, she, yeah. I'm not even going to repeat it. It was just, yeah very very upsetting she's talking about a child i was wondering too if because of her parents leaving them there's got to be a reason and also i'm wondering if she's like that with her daddy she's got issues and maybe she's got some daddy issues too i'm not trying to totally psychoanalyze the whole thing but like something's obviously up with the with the that that's possible um that's why you know i was saying like her home life had to have been even worse than her situation now and so the easy answer, which is usually the one that is true, I think, <laughs> is that her father probably abused her pretty badly. Um, and I just say that playing that relationship. I hated the green glasses that she was wearing and when they were <laughs> I know they were so completely took me out. I know I just really? I, I like the I mean it worked. I just it was, like them at all. It was a quirky 70s thing of I know. The, it just I think they were meant to look goofy because she actually looks really like fashionable and attractive in the other scenes. But the, in that scene, she looks much more her age. Like we're like, yeah. just yeah. flattened out. She's wearing like normal kids' clothes and she's got the goofy glasses on. Yeah. And, she oh my God, she really is just a kid. Yeah. I didn't like that. I don't know I have a thing for hair, but I really didn't like sports hair. 
Oh. Let's figure out if that was real or not. I think it was. I think it, it was, was real. It was bad. It was really bad. He had quite some long locks. <laughs> the 70s must have been a crazy time. I would not have wanted to live during the 70s. You don't want to wear a bunch of polyester uh, and bell No offense to those of you that did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading somewhere, uh, I read this, uh, Martin Scorsese character where when they saw he was having a, his wife was having an affair in the window and um, you oh. see how he wanted to shoot her and all. And um, if I'm following the movie correctly, did, did that like kind of form the violent thoughts and stuff like that? He started having violent thoughts and stuff after that, like that, that gave him confidence to act on his thoughts after this, after Martin Scorsese's oh, character. I didn't even but, think about that. Yeah, I was reading that. Somewhat, was, yeah. That's what, it, yeah, not obviously not, he had been having his thoughts for a while but it started to i guess it, it was a catalyst for i'm gonna start acting on this now since he's gonna he's talking about killing his wife having an affair um yeah so and you, raise, no you raise a good that. you raise a good point did everyone else realize that was martin scorsese in the back of the cab i didn't playing that part he did a good job too. i, thought, I mean it's you it's rare that we see directors act but he acted well yeah yeah and very short so he had to sit on a block to make himself tall in there. He was actually just <laughs> barely over the seat right here. Yeah. How tall is he? Yeah. I he's, <laughs> he's really short. <laughs> you know, I don't know for sure, but I, uh, I did read something that um, he he was really, really trying to keep the budget really low. So some of the actors took pay cuts. So I imagine that he played this part so that he wouldn't actually have to hire another actor to play this part. Oh, he plays, yeah. plays, it, plays, it, plays it himself so he doesn't have to pay somebody for oh, it. Yeah. yeah, some places say 5'4", some other places are saying 5'3". Can you imagine oh, if wow. you meet Martin Scorsese, famous director, and he's that much shorter than Joe Pesci's 5'4", so he's short. I just saw that too, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I wonder how tall his parents are. Six foot two and seven foot one. <laughs> I thought they were eight feet tall. <laughs> seven foot and four foot. And if you subtract them, you get his height. I don't know. <laughs> That's how genetics works. It's a it's a math problem. Yeah. Um, so that scene raises another interesting conversation we can have. He, uh -oh, he I'm about to see. Oh, Takia, go ahead. <laughs> I think about to say it though. I was, I was mentioning some of the racial things I said about the uh, yeah. African Americans back today. I mean, you're about to say that. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, in, in that scene, he uses the N-word. Um, yeah. And then there's another scene in particular where uh, Travis used, says, uh, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll bleep it out when, we, when I actually edit this, but I don't know if it's considered bad. But, but I mean, it is, it's something you shouldn't say, but he, he says, uh, S-P-O-O-K, I'll just spell it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's bad. bad. Uh, which people have literally have not, I don't think they've said for 40 years, but um, so you don't hear that. Then he also said the f word yeah uh, yeah well i heard there was a lot there was lots of offensive <laughs> language in this movie yeah. did, you but, but I, did you guys pick up on um on jungle bunny yeah that's a, that was a yeah. really colorful one that was i don't think i've ever heard i've heard a lot of them not such me this is, i never heard that one so that me was kind of interesting to i wonder if that is one of the thing one of the things the characters rattle off in that scene and do the right thing where they're just saying all the racial slurs they can in the show uh. Because oh. it's hard to catch them all, but I wonder if that was one of them. <laughs> yeah. It makes um, you wonder back in the 70s, but there's still kind of racial, I don't say tensions, but it was just still like in the big cities. It, I, I wonder what was going on in terms of like 
racially. Well, I mean, there still are uh, now, but you know, you were just allowed to say whatever you wanted back then. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it. Um, in in the case of this movie, I think that each time it happened, it actually did make sense in the story. Like mm. we were we were we were hearing it from pretty bad people, and it was telling us their use of it was telling us who they were and like right. their motivations behind certain things. So it, it helped us it learn. It didn't feel excessive or. The what? It did not feel to me, the language did not feel right. excessive. Or um, uh, inappropriate, uh, like uh, just for <laughs> the use to be used. You know what I mean? Like. Gratuitous. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel gratuitous to me either. Did you all notice in the credits uh, one of the cast, one of the characters was called Angry Black Man. I did. I was like, <laughs> oh, what? do you remember that guy? I mean, he was obviously disturbed too. Like that man should be but, in a psychiatric hospital. But that was it. what he was called was the Angry Black Man. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> All these, there's still jokes out there about angry black women. I mean, there's, there's still those jokes out there. I'm not saying that it's, it should be said, but that's, well, that's still. Yeah, people like know. Will Smith keep perpetuating this crap. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. So, you know, when you're the when you're one of the most visible people in your in your uh, your your group, you know, your community, and and you behave a certain way, people all over the country are gonna say, "Oh, well, then that proves it. It's exactly what I thought." <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sad to say, but you know, it, it happens with gay people too. Like you, in some scenarios, you're basically the representative for your whole community. And if you behave in a certain way, then that's how everyone is going to, that's the lesson they take home with them. And it's your fault for doing that. And I mean, it's not great because, you know, nobody wants to be like the representative, like the end all be all, but it's a, it's a fact of society. It's it's how people do it. It's how they interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. There's other guys, uh, that uh, Robert De Niro's character associated with, like, yeah, the other taxi drivers, yeah, they obviously had some issues themselves. <laughs> well, they're the ones that mentioned the word, the F word, so, and, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Did you plus- all recognize, um, I don't know his name, but everybody loves R- Raymond's dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering who that was. Hair, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, is yeah. that? It was a big mess. <laughs> but, um. What was, what was it? Um, he was oh, also it, Frankenstein in Young Frankenstein. Really? Yeah. I never saw that. Okay. Let's see if I can find his name. Takia, you haven't seen Young Frankenstein? Oh, I might have, but I don't think I was as into it. I, I can't tell you. I can remember it, but I can tell you like what, what was in the movie. Is that? I think you'd love it. Yeah, I might. I might. But his character was Wizard Peter Boyle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He went and asked him for like advice. Yeah. I don't his story about the lady he had in his cab. I was just like, geez. Yeah. They were telling a lot of stories. Like these are the people sort of at the bottom of society, and they see the people that are even further down than them every single night. Yeah. Um nobody's very compassionate or or respectful of each other. He was trying to tell what what about when he killed the guy the um what what was it the at the convenience store. convenience store that's yeah. the word i'm looking for and he, the guy's just like go go i mean was that real did he really murder that man and just just yeah i think he did, I think he did. that was real yeah 
Yeah, I was wondering, did he didn't survive that? Or no, because then he started beating him too. So well, yeah, like he was mad. He tried to rob that guy like four times. I thought he said. I think I think that um, experience went a long way to convincing Travis that he was some sort of hero. Hero, like yeah. here, I'm, I, I protect people. I'm I'm cleaning up the mess. The of vigilante, you know, yeah. he's yeah. yeah, he's the Punisher. And I love that movie, <laughs> but you know, I mean, he. I think he had more of a code. <laughs> Wait, are, Venom or Punisher? Punisher. Okay. Venom about, doesn't uh, have a code. Uh, Tom Hardy does. Eddie Brock does. Yeah, I was gonna say, is it kind of like yeah, DC Comics with uh, Two Face? Is that what you're talking about? No. Oh. Uh, Two Face is a bad guy. Um, yeah. we're talking about Venom, who's like a vigilante. You know, he goes out and deals his own brand of justice. Or Punisher goes and kills the bad guys. But in his mind, he's a hero because he's killing all the bad guys, cleaning everything up, you know, getting revenge on the people who killed his family, all this stuff. But really, that's not what heroes do. But in his mind, that's what heroes do. And actually, in the in the um, comic books, in the Civil War storyline, do you remember, Eric, when Punisher sides with Captain America's team, they all have a very hard time accepting him into their side because they're like, but you're not a you're not a hero, you know, like how do you, you can't be an Avenger. You can't be with us. We don't want your kind of help. Uh, I think he goes around after Cap dies and wears like Captain America's outfit to like honor him. Oh. I think people are like, you can't shoot that. Yeah. Oh, oh I was gonna, I was gonna show the poster. They even circle or they square Peter Boyle's. Why? Oh, there it is. I think to highlight him, like they do for Jodie Foster, like to, don't like draw attention to this name because um, it's impressive work. She'd already been working for so many years before this, like since she was a little kid. Um, but I think this really got her noticed. Yeah. And then look at how big Sybil Shepherd's name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. It's actually technically bigger than Robert De Niro. True. Yeah. And Robert true. De Niro's character doesn't even get named. No. No. Taxi driver is his real name, right? You know, did yeah. change it to Travis Bickle because right. he thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> like Iris, what a stupid name. Also, I'm sorry, but the opening title sequence was so silly. It's like this ominous music and then this taxi just drives by and it goes, taxi driver. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just cheesy. like, this is so cheesy. Even... And they played the same it, song throughout the whole movie. I know, it started to drive me crazy. It made me think of Taxi Cab Confessions, which probably oh, actually based yeah. their opening on Taxi Maybe. Driver. Like, uh, here's the gritty city through the eyes of a taxi, all the taxi drivers who work it. So did this movie come out or did the show Taxi come out? It seemed like we were in the I think 70s. Taxi predates this um, by a couple Best of years. Um, taxis. <laughs> Yeah, it's the 70s, I think, had a fascination with that, you know, grimy city life. And the taxi driver is the one who gets to experience it the most, right? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, actually, Taxi first aired in 1978. So. Hmm. Oh, so this came first. Yeah. Ooh. What came first, the taxi or the taxi driver? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we solved the mystery. The taxi driver. And in that first. show, there were a lot of. Uh, famous actors. Yeah. I mean, Christopher Lloyd and uh, Tony Danza, right? Tony Danza, Danza. And um, Danny DeVito. John, John Travolta. And um, wait, oh. no. 
Now, John, uh, I'm thinking of that other guy that played Kaniki in Greece. My bad. Tim Conway. No, <laughs> Jeff. Jeff Conway. Yeah. Yeah. Kaniki. A hooky from Kaniki yeah. is like Eric, a, I think, a Hallmark card. When you I think, McKenna, <laughs> I think McKenna Grace was in Taxi too. She's in everything. Probably. Yeah. She, she can even time travel. At, at the point of her birth, she actually aged backwards. She so she Benjamin Button to birth, and then now she's getting older again. So so what <laughs> she would have been around then? She would have been like thirty, maybe. I don't know. I was just saying she time traveled, but sure. Oh, and she probably has the power too, yes. What do you guys think happened at last scene when he was looking in the mirror? That is, a lot of people have mentioned that last thing. What you think Maybe happened? that was his realization that he's dead or his last final breath. Okay. Because it, it was all, it was very jolting, right? He yeah. drops her off, looks at her in the rear view or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like, Bleh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll make something up. The last thing he sees is himself because the only person he's ever really believed exists and matters is himself. <laughs> and because he doesn't understand anyone else or he- You really hate Travis Bickle. Let's just, just mm-hmm. come out and say it. We're not supposed to like him. He's disturbed. I, I know, don't... but the problem is I liked him. And that's really? what I don't know. I just felt for him. And that I had the same feeling in um, Joker. I-, I, oh, I yeah. No. There were moments in Joker where I felt for him a little bit, but um, and and maybe because he was more obviously mentally ill. Is he mentally ill or is he just <laughs> a really bad person? Oh my god! Can I just say I I haven't watched Joker in years, but that moment where he's in the children's hospital doing a performance and the gun drops out of his clothes. Oh, yeah. oh my god! So yeah. uncomfortable. Oh man, I remember that. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a tangent, but that just image came in my head. I was like, oh my God, what do you do in that moment? Yeah. Um, since since I, we were talking about um, the cast and crew, I wanted to point out a couple things. First of all, um, when the credits were rolling, I, I caught a name that I recognized. So I had to look it up to confirm why I knew it. But I don't know if you guys, did the music sound at all familiar to you in any way? Was it Tim Burton? <laughs> no, it was another weird Danny Elfman. No, Danny Elfman. That's what I meant. <laughs> uh, no, it was Bernard Herman, who was also the composer for Citizen Kane. Uh-huh. Thirty-five years before. Oh, wow. That. Wow. Oh, wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I, and I kind of like when the music was playing, I was like, this. I don't know. It's got a feel for it. It, it felt a little old school, in fact. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing was Takia. Have you ever seen the movie Maniac? the 80s slasher? I did a long time ago. I barely remember it though. Well, uh, in the very first scene where he goes and tries to get the job as the cabbie, you see this guy who helps him out, right? Oh. Well, yeah. that's, oh, okay. that's him. That's Maniac, Joe Spinell. He's a maniac? Yeah, he's, he's, this movie is a huge cult like, phenomenon. Get so he's extremely famous just for playing this part, but I had no idea he was in Taxi Driver. I would not know that either. Can I mention? Um, I my thought about uh, what I mentioned about the uh, the, the rearview mirror thing. The last scene I read somewhere that it was indicating he was a ticking time bomb, ready to strike, even and maybe even in a more bloody, murderous uh, rampage type thing. Like, is is his way? Of, that was indicating he's he's yeah, he's a ticking time bomb basically. So I just wanted to mention that because that's what I read. Yeah, go he's ahead. Batman, and that was the bat signal coming on. It was, yeah, yeah. Well, Takia, so I think Ruth, me, Shelly, and Eric have all given our thoughts on what we really think 
the ending is. Our thoughts, not reading what other people's thoughts are. So what are your thoughts yeah. on the actual ending? Well, I can say the first time I saw it, I thought it was real. I thought he, um, but I don't remember Betsy's character being in the seat. So I saw it this time, you know, six years later. And I still thought it was real, but it was kind of like annoying to me. Like, how is this, this seemed too perfect. How is Betsy all of a sudden, she was repulsed by him. All of a sudden she's enamored by him. Oh, hi, how you doing? Like, like nothing ever happened. Also, how's she in his cab? So, Huh? How does she find his cab? There, all the cabs in New York City. Yeah, that's why. As as I started watching more, unlike six years ago, I was trying to realize this is weird. This is mm -hmm. too perfect. <laughs> How did all of a sudden her parents were he survives? Blah blah blah. La di da. Sing kumbaya. It was just a little too much weirdness for me. And then that's what it got me to read about it after I saw it. I didn't read other people's thoughts about it, but like that's when I found out. Oh, he might be dead. Then he probably didn't survive the shootout. And like Eric said, I was perfect what he said, but the, um, I saw someone else say the same thing about the, like he was looking over down at his body. And so I'm gonna go with the fact that maybe he didn't survive and that that was a dream sequence. Cause it just, yeah. I didn't like how it was too perfect. Like, do you, come think, on. do you think that they should have left it ambiguous like that? Or do you think they should have ended? I kind of, I kind of wish they had ended with it, with him on the couch, like, and then the, yeah. Shelly, you, you hit it on the head. Yeah, but I, I wish that they had it was like that too. Yeah. And because um, other stuff was like, but the other part of it, of it with, with all this stuff happening afterward, maybe that's left, they, they, the producer or director wanted to expand people's imaginations. Like, so I see why they did that. But like I said, I think I, I wish I, I just, just ended it on the couch as well. So, yeah. If I had written it, I would have ended it with uh, Jodie Foster actually killing Travis. Oh, in, in, in the very final thing, like he gets into that room, he's bloody, he's murdered people, they're trying to get to him, and she pulls out a gun uh, to defend herself from this maniac, you know, coming through a building shooting people, and shoots him, and I think that would be, it would have been really good, because she's, she's been taking care of herself, you know, she's stronger than he thinks, he, you know, and he thought he was coming to save her, and so for her to sort of be standing over him as he passes, because she's shot him. I thought that would be like a very powerful message. Anyway. Hmm. I don't know. I don't I, know I, because I don't have the <laughs> same feeling towards him as you. I, I don't know. You know. Do you think that, that he sent, I mean, I don't know. It would be so traumatic for her. I'm trying to decide if like she would ever, I guess she wouldn't appreciate it. She felt like she knew what she was doing. I'm trying to decide like, he sends her that money. Do you think she gets the money and leaves? How do you think it ends? Like, what do you think she does? Well, I think she has to do, I mean, uh, uh, her quote unquote protection, you know, her pimp and her whatever. Pimp all so she has to do something. So, it, I mean, it's starter money to either get away or she'll have to find some other kind you of think protection. She goes to that commune in Vermont. You know, you know what commune <laughs> is probably uh, code for? She probably gets there. It turns out to be a cult, but she's been through so much, you know, she's, you know, abused and she's got that life. So she buys into all of it. And then one day they ask her to drink a cup of Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. She's dead. You know, like that's probably what happened with that. What was that? Heaven's Gate? Was that Kool-Aid? Jonestown. This happened in 96 as well, like Marshall Applewhite or something. Then they drank Kool-Aid too. They went to the Haley Bob Comet. Let's say in Heaven's Gate. They drink Kool-Aid and died, right? Like they all did. They drink something poisoned, yeah. Spike. Okay, that, was a, that was a recent one. Okay. All right. Gotcha. 
Um, yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to point out was, so I've never seen them do this before, but there was a name in the credits, uh, and this is when I looked on IMDb just to see who who might be popping up when I before I watched, and I saw a name I recognized. As, as, I was like, is that who I think it is? And I looked up, I was like, oh, it is. And it said that she played soap opera woman. So I thought, I was like, I don't remember a scene like that in this movie, but uh, so I'm watching it. It's like, it's, it's literally, he's watching the soap opera on this, mm-hmm. this television in this scene. And I've never seen a movie actually because her name is actually in the credits, soap opera woman. Uh-huh. It's like, you don't, normally a movie doesn't credit people that are with, on the TV. Program. Yeah. Because this is a, she was really a soap opera star on Young and the Restless. Oh. Um, so, and he's just watching it. Um, but the reason I know her is because she, uh, in like the eighties, this is a picture of it. She released a home video release called Welcome to My Home, where she tells you about like, how she handles fashion and beauty and exercise. You can see her exercising there and she tells you oh. around her home so you can see oh. her things. But the reason I know about it is that like uh, many years ago, like in the beginning of the internet, this uh, comedian, this Canadian comedian um, put did a voiceover on the video. So she pretended to be Brenda Dixon and made her say all these crazy things. And it's hysterical and it's hard to find now, but I found the video and I should, I'm going to send it to you guys so you can watch it. But um she uses this weird voice and so that's how i know this woman so i was like she's in this movie oh <laughs> wow time i've heard her real voice <laughs> is that when he and he's watching her soap opera when he kicks the tv over yeah i felt so bad for him <laughs> i thought oh come on what'd you guys think when in the to gun scene what do you think was gonna start happening there i guess maybe the first time you guys saw it and then whoever didn't see it what would like did you Where- think it was a when he build. bought when he was going to buy the guns or when he was shooting yeah, the he, no he was buying the guns and he's all involved with the guns he makes this this, uh, this makeshift holster thing he starts all that leading up to the his mayor his little mayor speech of uh when you're talking to me do they think your first time watching it was he gonna you know do some kind of and be involved in some kind of massacre is he gonna oh i assume that, that yeah that that's what he was that that's what he was gearing up towards but like the first time you guys watched it or, or did you like, this I mean, was the first time i watched it yeah i assumed that yeah he was gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. Was... I, to me that was just kind of his out of touch reality by, by then he'd already he descended into already his realm of like no turning back so that's that was my interpretation of that yeah yeah it's interesting his I think they they make it clear that he he's got this fixate fixation like the the pal the Palantine campaign is sort of revolving around the whole story the whole time so I think they make it pretty clear that he's gonna try something there but it is weird his his priorities because that's the first thing he wants to do and it, it feels like because that doesn't work out and he has to run away without achieving anything that he's like oh I guess I'll go to the ghetto and I'll shoot oh. I tell and it's like oh so. His real priority was impress Betsy, kill the guy that she, you know, that she's working for, that's taking up all her time so she can't be with him. Uh, and, or, and who knows, maybe he in, instead he wanted, to, no, I think he did want to kill Palantine, but I was wondering like, if he was uh, instead, if he wanted to kill um, Albert oh, Brooks's character. Albert Brooks, that's what I don't remember what his character's name is, but. <clears throat> so how many of you seen Batman 1989, the first Batman? I of course well. everybody good good people good people uh well i don't know if you guys remember it very well but i was when they first introduced civil shepherd and albert brooks i was like oh my god this is totally Knox and vale uh kim basinger and uh arliss uh 
at at the uh, at the paper in Gotham. It's their total relationship. She's she's like way too smooth, way too smart. She sees exactly what he's doing, and he's just hitting on her constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they have a pretty good working relationship, so it never gets creepy. But it was basically the exact same thing. And then this guy comes in and gets in the way of it. And of course, you know the Albert Brooks Arliss you know, character uh, is like, who is this guy? You really gonna go out with him? And she's like, sure, I guess I am. Um, But it doesn't work out so well for her. Well, it's funny, right? Cause I I said, it's like Batman and the bat signal. Um, Yeah, there you go. Um, And we've been comparing it to Joker this whole time. So weird. I did think though that Albert Brooks's character in this one, Tom was a bit dopier than the character in Batman. Yeah, yeah. Character in Batman just seems sleazier. Like and he had was... bad hair. I would not have dated a man in the seventies that had <laughs> hair like that. <laughs> I love him though. Albert Brooks, oh, Albert Brooks. Yeah. Who if doesn't you know, love Albert Brooks? <laughs> if you've never seen Defending Your Life, you should watch it. So, I heard of that one. He he and Meryl Streep uh, end up in Purgatory together. And they have they have to answer for every all of their life's actions before they before they get before the before the angels decide if they get to either go to heaven or they have to be reincarnated and start all over again. Interesting. And so of course he's the one who didn't make any of the right choices in his life. And Meryl Streep is perfect; like she did everything wonderfully. So <laughs> they fall in love with her while they're there. So it's it's really wonderful. It's it's very fascinating. I've never seen the whole movie, but I did watch scenes of it uh three weeks ago when i was in cincinnati it was on tv really that's weird that it was on tv or that i watched it both and oh. it was <laughs> yeah i just saw parts of it where they're like he's being you know uh questioned in front of the little panel of judges or whatever and then he goes and has dinner with meryl streep and they see the 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 lawyer of the other side the prosecution i guess and um yeah it was interesting and to see like what they had to wear um like just these robes and everything but do you think uh, do you think his hair was better in that in that movie <laughs> i mean it, it was like curly wasn't it <laughs> it was pretty much the same hairstyle but a little smaller <laughs> yeah a little more brought in <laughs> you know a it- 90s the 90s version of that style did you say ramen it like ramen you say, you say no. Like, oh. no, 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 no. Uh, brought in. No, brought I said in. brought in. Oh, brought okay. in. <laughs> Did it look like ramen to you? It looked like ramen. Timberlake's hair looked was compared to ramen a lot, especially with the, the it's gonna be May meme. So that's why. I'll let you <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> well, does anyone else have anything that they want to add before we move on to our next <sighs> segment? I think not. Okay, it's that time again for Recast. We close each episode with the Recast game, where we each play casting director and choose a different actor from any era, living or dead, to portray a character in the film instead. First up is Ruth. Um... For Travis's character, I thought um, another guy that was world popular in the 1970s um, would be Jack Nicholson, and how good he was in the in uh, what was it called? We saw signing. Yes, I thought he would be great. Are you tired? Very, very tired. 
Yes, I'm sorry. Also, yeah, he was Joker. That. <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Oh, wait, with my recast too, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so I thought he would be great. All right. Yeah. Um, Eric. Yay. So I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, and, and by the way, just to repeat, this is our second Robert De Niro movie, right? Just two or more? Two. Just two. So our second Robert De Niro movie. But, and I, I think I mentioned before that I've never really been a big fan of his. I feel like he's a bit overrated. I don't know. I feel that way about a lot of male actors, actually. <laughs> so maybe that's just me being sexist. But um, uh, so I wanted to recast Travis Bickle. And I was thinking about somebody who could, well, I actually immediately thought of somebody who has played a role like this, but didn't get as much attention for it uh, as he probably should have. It's got a cult following now and, and he's very famous now, but it didn't do a whole lot for his career, I think at the time. And that's Michael Rooker. Uh, and so Takiya knows that he was in uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer where he yep. was a similar person who really did not connect well with others. And he had this idea about what justice was and what was right and wrong. And, oh, good and he, he was cold. he was a cold-blooded mm. killer. And so yeah. I think he could have played this character um, maybe even with more menace than, than uh, you probably wouldn't have liked him as much as you like Travis Bickle played by Robert De Niro, Shelley. <laughs> so I, I thought that would have been pretty good. And then he would have been, you know, the Oscar nominated star of the eighties and nineties. We might never have gotten Yondu. That's true. But you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro moved into more like fun loving stuff in his later career. Or Merle Dixon. Myrtle, Myrtle. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have got Myrtle because he wouldn't have done television. Myrtle, Myrtle, right? Oh, Myrtle. Myrtle, sorry, Myrtle. Yeah. Is it Myrtle? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't Myrtle the turtle. Myrtle, Urkel. <laughs> okay, I'm going to call on Fahad. Thank you. Um, so my recast is for sport. And I think it was the hair <laughs> that made me think of this. But... I, and also the height, like he was kind of a smaller stature guy. Um, I was thinking Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And it would be fun <laughs> because he would get to revisit his old Third um, third Rock in the Sun long hair days. Oh, um, I wish he would do that. He should grow it out. Yeah, so I thought that that would be kind of fun. It would be interesting to see him in this kind of creep role. Um, but also it goes back to Batman because he was in the the um, uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movies. He was oh. in the third one. Oh, that's what I was saying. It's another connection to Batman. So that's recast one. And My Michael second Rooker recast. was in Suicide Squad, so that's DC as well. Yes. Oh, that's right. Um. So my second recast is a very just a quick one. Is um, in the movie there is a scene where Sport is standing, and this kind of tall, lanky guy walks up to him to like make a deal. And I thought this guy was going to be a bigger deal in the movie, but no, he was in it for like five seconds. But um, I immediately thought, and I'm recasting him with uh, Michael Richards from Seinfeld because he. Really, I thought he would. I thought he was right? like too. <laughs> but like older, but he was like I'm like yeah. Kramer, but there's no yeah. way that he, um, he Michael Richards because he's too old. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. No so I recast yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> All right. Until you said who your recast was, I I couldn't picture the guy. I remembered the scene, but it was like I can't picture him. The way and you're describing you him. And when you said Mike, Michael Richards, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yay. Right. Shelly, back to you. Yeah. Hey. 
I was thinking about a comedian who would be interested in this dark role. Um, ooh, one, I had one, but another one popped in my mind. So I want to say both of them. In their younger years, Robin Williams and um, Jim Carrey. They are both, well, even Robin Williams was alive, they both had constant smiles on their faces. They're both constantly hyper and blah, 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 blah. You know, all this stuff. So um, even in their interviews, they're constantly hyper and smiling and ecstatic and excited and whatnot. So they both played in like some dark roles. I, I know Rob Williams did the, um, what was that? The, the uh, one hour photo? photo. Yeah, Jim Carrey, I felt did something. I'm not recalling it though. That was a dark role. Maybe oh, Jim Sunshine and Oh yeah, and oh. he was in the number 23, which was a horror movie basically. Oh. They, they both yeah. have a bit of a darkness to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, most so I. He, well, yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah. But I, I think about them, but they, they were so, you know, hyper in front of the camera when I, like, you would think that everything was hunky-dory and all, obviously they had things going on. So I was thinking about them back in the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s when they're younger. And I could see both of them playing Travis Bickle. This is probably the first time that we've done a, um, a, a recast, at least I, I have, with two people. <laughs> I couldn't figure out who I want to put in that role. That's your first time doing First oh, time two, doing one character, two one, one character, two different people. Now, I have yeah. to say, Jim Carrey was way too pretty in the 80s. I think he was beautiful. <laughs> he was really a cutie, yes. Yes, he but, was. Uh, but Rob, Robin Williams, uh, when he was really young, I could see him doing this. Um, yeah. I love when they have the most craziest acting comedians in the dark roles. I just love that because it's, it's so their versatility. So um, that's where I was. That's that's immediately who I came to my mind with, but Travis Bickle. Yeah. Well, my recast, I have one random one. I randomly recast the guy that sells him the guns. Oh. Um, <laughs> with Pete Davidson. Uh, especially yeah. at the end where he's like offering him all those drugs. For some reason, it made me think of Pete Davidson. And then I wanted to recast Betsy with Amy, um, Amy Adams. Okay. Which she's beautiful and I can see her in that role, but I think this is like the third time I've recast her as something <laughs> like her. So I think it's time to rate our movie, right? Did any everyone went correct? Mm -hmm. So let's open up the chat, enter your number in, and wait for the row in zero. Let me get my, let me get my, um, to the ratings. Uh -oh, what's this movie called? Taxi Driver. Hmm. <laughs> I accidentally wrote Taco Driver. <laughs> Taco Truck Driver? That would be cool. Taco Driver. Oh, hooker. <laughs> Everybody's ready? Mm -hmm. Ready. Ready okay. already. So five, four, three, two, one zero. You started at five again. It oh, well. <laughs> Ruth gives it a three. Bahad gives it a 3.25. Takia gives it a five. I liked it all. I was good acting. <laughs> I give it a um, 4.25. And Eric gives it a 3.75. We're all over the place. We are. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the average for this one is a 3.85. That's good. Still very good, yeah. Um, I, I would like to oh. add that originally I was going to give it a three because three for me is it was a good movie, pleasant, but I wouldn't necessarily watch it again. I did bump it up um, to 3.25 because I hadn't thought about that the ending could potentially not have been real and it could have been a dream. So that made me be like, okay, there's a little more to it than I was thinking of it. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's good. Our discussion actually helped inform your opinion of it yeah. as it should. Exactly. It opened my eyes. <laughs> awesome. Well, I just want to say my final thought before I get to the next part is I miss Sybil Shepherd. I love her. I find her so witty and and she's beautiful. not passed away, did she? No, no, but you just don't see her very often and um I don't see her at all now. You know, she had a she moved to television not too long after this, you know, moonlighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't know if you guys watch Sybil, but that's uh, where Christine, Christine Baranski and Alicia Witt first got famous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a pretty, that was a very clever show, too. Um, Serial Mom. Sybil Shepard wasn't in Serial Mom. No? Kathleen Turner. Oh, <laughs> that's what I, was gonna say. I was like, I thought that was Kathleen Turner. But... Thank you, the only one. <laughs> it's okay. They kind of look similar. They look I, I guess, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have the same hair in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the hair. It is the hair. It was the 80s hair, the right? hair. The oh, 80s there's mom there. hair. There's a mom in charge. There's a show called Guilty Party on Paramount Plus that she was in an episode of last year. Oh. Just an episode. Just an episode. And then she was in a movie called Love is Love is Love in 2020. And then a movie called The Other Side of the Wind as the woman oh. in the car uncredited. Oh, but the other side of the wind is the, um, it's like the final finished film of Citizen Kane uh, connection here, Orson Welles. Um, so it's probably her when she was young. No, no, no. This is 2018. She was just a woman in the car uncredited. I know. That's when the film came out. Oh. But I think the, the part that she, the oh. film, the part that she was in, I think was when she was probably much younger. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it just wasn't released until recently. Yeah. The last like big longer term role she had was on the client list with Jennifer Love Hewitt for 25 episodes back in 2012. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> well, I am in charge of the next movie that I'm a, that I get to um, that I get to uh, burden you guys. I mean, uh, assign to you guys. Uh, and um that episode's going to come out on I believe June 1st. So, it's the beginning of Pride month. And Fahad's hiding his face for some reason, I think. Because uh, you, you, the way you're saying it is like a scary movie that you're, not like scary as a horror movie, but like, <laughs> whoa, what is he going to make us watch? Only if you're so <laughs> Vegas in <okay>. space. <laughs> oh my God, I love Vegas in space, but no, I'm not going to watch. No, my next, before I realized my movie was going to be the start of Pride Month, I did have something picked out that you guys were all going to hate. <laughs> Oh. But I really wanted to see it and I was excited to at least have a conversation about it, but, but I'm saving that one for later. So, so instead, what I'm going to propose we watch is oh. a relatively recent movie called Swan Song. Oh. Oh. It's available on Hulu. It stars uh, Udo Kier. And uh, I don't know if you guys, it's almost 
it's almost guaranteed that at some point in your lives, you've seen a movie with Udo Kier in it. He's basically the white German Samuel L. Jackson. He's just <laughs> been everywhere, like every type of movie, good, bad, you know, he was even in, um, he was in Madonna's uh, music video for Deeper and Deeper. Oh. So uh, he was in, uh, you can tell, Shelly, you can tell Stuart this, he was in the original Suspiria, so he'll recognize him immediately. Okay. Uh, and so this is a movie about a, an aging hairdresser who uh, tries to get across town to do the hair of uh, a woman who has passed uh, in a funeral par- parlor. Uh, and so I guess he, he gets up to a lot of, uh, it's one of those, like, uh, I, I think it's probably one of those day in the life stories. Uh, lots of crazy things happen. He meets a lot of people along the way. So it, it's apparently very, very funny. I have not seen it, um, but apparently it's very, very funny and poignant. And um, I, f- for years, I had thought Udo Kier must be gay. And I know I looked it up once or twice and could never find any guarantee that or like any confirmation that he was, but I'm looking on Wikipedia now, it says that mm-hmm. um, that he said he's been open about his sexuality his entire life, and that people, but people just never asked him about it. So maybe they just didn't sense it or something. So I was like, so then maybe it just like, it wasn't, I couldn't find any evidence of it because no one had ever thought to like ask him, <laughs> but uh, I'm happy to say that he's playing for my team. So all my, my theories were correct all this time. <laughs> I was like, there's no way that man is straight. I've seen so many movies he's in, there's no way he's straight. So, uh, so yeah, um, I'm very excited to watch this. And, uh, and I think it'll be a good discussion as we go into Pride Month about what it means to, you know, the generational differences of, of being gay and, um, and how that affects people and the different experiences that we have and how hard it becomes to understand what the culture is um, the older you get. Yep. So I hope you guys will enjoy it. I declare this episode of Old Bogies and Films concluded. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Facebook and find our list on Letterboxd. Don't forget to leave a comment or review. Everybody say goodbye. Bye. Bye. I have like a speech from Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, sorry, Scorsese, say it for me. Martin Scorsese? Martin. It's more like a Z, Scorsese. My mouth can't do that. Martin Scorsese, do it again. (laughs) Martin Scorsese, you don't have to say it. I mean, Martin Scorsese? Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, like a Z. Scorsese, 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 Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to totally trip up on that. Today we're discussing Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. That for some reason, my tongue does not like to do that. Scorsese. Say Scorsese just on its own. Scorsese like Patrick Swayze. Say Scorsese. 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 Does it help you sort of get Italian yeah. with it? Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you are Italian. How can you not say his name? <laughs>